Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Michael Krasny. What does it mean to be sheltered in place if the place you sheltered in don't feel safe? That's sheltered displaced from the album Social Distancing by Oakland-based Kev Choice. He and other artists and independent venue operators across the Bay Area are struggling to stay afloat during coronavirus restrictions. When a coalition of national independent music venues earlier this year asked its members whether they'd still be in business if the lockdown continued, 90% responded that without major financial assistance, it wouldn't last another six months. Coming up, we hear from some local artists and venues about how they're faring, and we'll get the latest on prospects for federal and local relief before the region's arts and culture scene suffers more loss. That's all next, after this news. You know, some don't even want to be outside. They're just trying to avoid the insult of being displaced inside. You see, there's a lot of uncomfortable shift going on. And despite what you see on your timeline, not everybody's dancing to the same song. You know, some are dancing to the tune of loneliness and some ain't dancing at all. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. The last few weeks have brought welcome news of promising vaccines and at least a faint light at the end of the pandemic tunnel. But for many of the Bay Area's struggling music venues, the end of restrictions might not come soon enough. Those clubs and theaters say they desperately need government help or will go out of business permanently. In this hour, we're going to check in on the local music scene and find out about efforts to help venues and artists. And joining us is Lynn Schwartz. She's co-owner of Bottom of the Hill. And good morning, Lynn Schwartz. Good morning. It's such a pleasure to be on your show. And might I say that I'm a little bit starstruck. Michael Krasny, listen to you every day and you're the best. Thank you for that. Glad to have you aboard here. Also glad to have Nastya Vonikovsky, Skaya, excuse me, who is Associate Editor of KQD Arts. And Nastya, welcome to Forum. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Also great to have Fred Barnes, who's General Manager of the Chapel. Fred Barnes, good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. Glad to have all of you. And Lynn Schwartz, let me begin with you. Actually, um, the Bottom of the Hill and Portoro Hill Club uh, has been in the news somewhat, and you have certainly been active in making essentially what you've struggled with uh, something that the public needs to know about. Uh, barely surviving, is that a good way to describe where you're at? That's pretty accurate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so tell us. I mean, in, in, indeed, uh, the picture I have is you're funding a lot of canceled show tickets. You're taking a lot of calls from uh, agents who are postponing bigger concerts. It's been really tough and hand to mouth. It has. I mean, uh, I'll just never forget March 13th. I was having a hike in McLaren Park and I got the notice that the mayor had stopped all gatherings that day, starting at five. We had a uh, band that had loaded in for a sold out show. It was going to be a sweaty, stage divey kind of show, knuckle puck. And we had we were still in that the show must go on, you know, frame of mind because we have contracts and everything but uh i had to call i had to call up and say you know we're not doing it feed the band send them on their way and uh that began a month of 
pretty much pure hell of refunds. And, and that was when we thought it was just going to be closed for a few months, which seemed absolutely unthinkable. Now, thinking about reopening in a year seems almost normal <laughs> after a lot of learning. So how have you been getting by? I mean, I know unemployment insurance and uh, certainly there's been some grant money too, hasn't there? There has, yeah. I mean, so first of all, I think all of all of the venues have tapped into their fan bases and done um, fundraisers for their staffs, fundraisers for themselves. Um, and that's been a huge life raft for everybody. Um, we, of course, immediately started applying for loans and grants. We got a, a PPP loan that was almost immediately used up. And I think some people didn't get those loans in our group. Um, we got a very generous grant from Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, as did a couple of our members. Um, and we're so thankful to them because while it's not a permanent solution, it takes the pressure off of my club for a little while to pay the bills, to give our staff um, a stipend, um, not enough to live on, but like, you know, enough not to go hungry and get evicted. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And keeping each other um, vacillating between being depressed and optimistic. I'm fortunate enough to have um, fellow owners who we keep each other um, from going into despair. Well, there's an organization now. We'll talk to Fred Barnes about it because he's a brand, it's his brainchild, uh, Independent Venue Association. There's a national one with about 600 members. There are 600 here, excuse me, there are 60 here in the, in the Bay Area and banding together symbiotically to survive. And actually, uh, I think a lot of people need to realize uh, these clubs like yours are breeding grounds for local talent, but they're also really um, the economic engine that helps the city or part of the economic engine that helps the city. And I think you put it best. It's going to be a pretty boring city without the venues. Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, when this started, obviously, you know, everyone was in the same boat. Um, we didn't know where, uh, we were going to go with it. We had to deal with, uh, an enormous amount of immediate situations. Like Lynn was saying, you know, we had calendars booked months, you know, in advance and, bands and artists that we had responsibilities to and we had to deal with all of these different things so one of the thing, good things that has come out of this in a way is um that we all contacted each other instead of being in competition as we have been for years and decided we needed to get together and try and find a way to help each other in this situation and from that we formed in the uh, bay area the independent venue alliance and as you mentioned there's a national um, association called Neva, and all of us have been working together um, independent venues um, that's independently owned um, and run and operated and booked venues um, to you know to try and fundraise support raise awareness um, you know look at whatever avenue we can put pressure on uh, local and you know higher and state government to get relief wherever we can um, there hasn't been as Lynn said, very much of that. Uh, some of the best, you know, things that have happened have been from the sectors, uh, you know, business sectors, private business sectors in San Francisco have reached out and helped us. And we are so appreciative of that. My club, the chapel in uh, the Mission District, of which I'm the general manager, also got a generous grant from Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, which has been incredibly um, important and they've always been an incredible organization obviously Warren Hellman and what he's given to the city so 
Um, it's things like that that have helped us, you know, find a way to try and band together and do some good. But we're still, you know, a million miles away from a solution that is going to ultimately help everybody out of this situation. And some clubs have, unfortunately, already gone under. Well, what you really need, you know, is some federal money here. And we'll talk about that with Nasia. But uh, yep. when I hear your British accent, I keep thinking about uh, across the pond and how in the UK and how many other countries in Europe actually help fund the arts and organizations and, and, and businesses like yours. Uh, you could, at this point, I suppose, uh, uh, look at the fact that this is not really a big money-making industry to begin with. I think, in other words, you separate, your group separates the independents from some of the big, more corporate uh, organizations in terms of what putting on shows and the like. Uh, these are all independents, aren't they? Absolutely, yes. And uh, independent venues, um, you know, are, I mean, I don't think that maybe a lot of people really understand the difference um, in uh, the venue that they go to and what is behind it. But, you know, for a lot, for the vast majority of independent venues, even in the best times, you know, it's a break even or, you know, run at a small loss model. You know, some do it a bit better, but really most people are really in it for the love of, of what they're doing. And it's it might look like something, you know, if you go on a sold out night, that there's a lot of money to be made there. But really the enormous overheads of having these giant buildings and the way it's all set up, um, there really isn't much money to be made in this business. So independent venue owners and operators are, you know, an unusual part of our culture. I think that they're not really understood um, so much, you know, within sort of the way people, people go to a place they don't really realize what it is. But what I was trying to point out when we started this was the importance of independent venues, specifically say to a city like San Francisco, culturally is that they, you know, they have this symbiotic relationship with what's happening on the street with, you know, kids, the movements that are coming up through music and so forth. And they are the venue by which the, you know, where these ideas and other things percolate. And, you know, you know, the Avalon, Chet Helms and Bill Graham, of course, and the Fillmore West and the Winterland, these places to a large extent built that, you know, some of the culture of San Francisco that is broadcast worldwide. Um, and loved and, you know, attracts enormous amounts of tourism and attention and, you know, some of the jazz stuff that has happened here in the Fillmore District. And, you know, that, I feel like a lot of that goes, always happens at independent venues. There's all the famous ones, CBGBs and the Marquee in London and all those places, um, you know, but isn't, uh, it's hard to say, you, those people don't necessarily, uh, reap the reward. The rewards go to t-shirt shops, you know, for 50 years afterwards right. and that kind of thing. But um, it really needs to be supported because you don't know where the next place like that is going to come from. And, and in a city like San Francisco, you know, more than anywhere, that's the reason I was drawn to it is it's, is it's cultural heritage. And it's, you know, it's amazing gift that it's given to the world and it's world famous for that amongst other things, obviously, but that's a large part of you know, and that, that always comes from independent venues where there's this sort of ecosystem, you know, symbiotic mirroring of the audience and the musicians and the people who own the venue. And there's a whole, you know, sort of melting a, pot of what's going on A there. long tradition, really, uh, that has been the heart of San Francisco and certainly 
of the whole Bay Area because San Francisco is at the center of it. Uh, Fred Barnes is yeah. the general manager of the chapel. Uh, I want to give out the phone number, and uh, we want to hear from you. What's your favorite live music venue in the Bay Area, and why? And has a much-loved club closed, a club near you, or just a club that you adore? And if you're a musician, a musician how is the pandemic affecting you? I'd also like to hear... Uh, for the sake of nostalgia, since we're talking about the broader sense of uh, the importance of clubs here in the Bay Area and their tradition and history, uh, and not only for nostalgia, but just like to hear from some listeners' memories of perhaps one of the best shows that you've seen or experienced or been part of, you can call us now, and I invite you to do that to be part of the program. The toll-free number to call is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us with questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. And let me bring Anastya Voinovskaya into this associate editor at KQED Arts. And Anastya, where do things stand in, in terms of federal government money? Because that's where everybody's looking. Well, I think everyone is waiting for a stimulus package, not just music venues. So any federal relief that's been proposed in Congress has been stalled. Um, so the National Independent Venue Association has been ca campaigning really hard around the Save Our Stages Act. And that would basically be um, a grant program that would give venues um, up to about half of their 2019 um, operating expenses just as a grant. Because most venues so far have received um, a payment protection program loan, which is helpful, but it means that when they come back, they'll also be paying back debt in addition to trying to get everything back up to speed. So um, to make a long story short, the, the Save Our Stages Act um, never went anywhere, but um, provisions of it um, were um, adapted into the HEROES Act, which passed in the House, but the Senate has not passed it. So at, right at now there's point, no sign of relief coming. At this point, things are once again on Mitch McConnell's desk uh, and sitting there, there was a bipartisan bill, which you alluded to put forth by Texas John uh, Cornyn and uh, Minnesota's Amy Klobuchar. We'll talk more about this and we'll hear from you. Stay tuned. You're listening to Forum on KQED. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're checking in on the local music scene and finding out about efforts to help venues and artists with Fred Barnes, general manager of the chapel, and uh, Lynn Schwartz, who's co-owner of Bottom of the Hill, and our own Nasia Vonovskaya, who is associate editor with KQED Arts. And we do want to hear from you. If you have a favorite live music venue in the Bay Area, what is it and why? And how about a much-loved closed uh, club that you want to uh, bring to our attention that you know about? And if you're a musician, how is the pandemic affecting you? I also asked about live shows that people really remember and that are in the 
core of your consciousness that you may want to bring to our attention. You can call us now at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email questions to forum at kqed.org. Nasi, let me go back to you and, and get a general picture from you. Bars, clubs, theaters, and some are surviving by serving beer and things if they have a liquor license or serving food. But for the most part, we're talking about venues closing and ones that, uh, like we've heard from Lynch Wars, are right on the cusp of closing or in desperate need. Right. Yeah, it, it's been pretty unfortunate to see places go like the stud, for example, it was one of San Francisco's oldest gay clubs. And it, it really had um, all, of, all of these really interesting up and coming drag performers, dance parties, um, and it was this really inclusive environment. And they, they decided to pull the plug early in the pandemic in May. And then also Starline Social Club in Oakland. It was this big eclectic ballroom that had all of these up-and-coming artists, um, jazz nights, karaoke nights, and it, it was a place where local artists and touring acts could go play. So when everything returns to normal and the vaccine becomes widely available, it, the cultural landscape will look vastly different. Well, in the meantime, there's been, and of course it's getting colder and now it's purple everywhere except Marin County and that's on the verge of turning purple as well. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about wanting to have, for example, uh, concerts and parks and things along those lines. And I know some would like to streamline the process so that that can happen with uh, some dispatch, but uh, where, where do things stand there? I mean, uh, I especially ask because I think at this point, uh, it's uh, I believe it's the case that uh, whatever tier level it doesn't allow for nightclubs and concert venues to open. Yeah, that's been also a very confusing situation to navigate for music venues. Um, all of these kind of unofficial DJ sets started popping up in parks and bands would play on streets without permits. And I think music venues were really frustrated that they couldn't throw a socially distanced outdoor event with everyone wearing masks. So um, San Francisco created a permit that basically allows live music and amplified sound in existing shared spaces, but it has to be something that's already used like an outdoor dining area or a farmer's market or a patio or a rooftop. So there is a way for a music venue to throw a ticketed concert, but there are all of these um, restrictions that are very confusing to navigate and um, often require outdoor dining to be involved. Um, and then uh, also uh, the San Francisco International Arts Festival actually sued the city and state because they felt that um, performing arts are First Amendment protected activities and San Francisco was already allowing protests and outdoor worship services. So the state actually sided with them and the governor before everything went purple issued an interim directive that allowed outdoor performances of under 100 people. But of course now we're in the purple tier and it's cold so we'll see how that resumes in the spring. Nasivo Naskaya again is associate editor with KQED Arts and I want to bring uh, a caller in here. Let me get John on. John is joining us. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, go good ahead, morning. John. You're on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, you had asked a question uh, about my favorite venue, uh, and I'd have to say the, the Great American. I know, Fred, you're, you're one of the guys speaking there. You used to be the manager there. Uh, and uh, Johnny Cash was probably the best show I think I've ever seen uh, there at the Great American. Uh, but I, I also wanted to mention that uh, at Terrapin Crossroads uh, in Marin County, 
they have a park that's associated uh, as a music venue with a stage that uh, they've leased from the city, uh, and they are doing socially uh, responsible, uh, you know, uh, separated mask uh, shows uh, uh, there, and uh, uh, they seem to be quite successful. I know they used to sell uh, about 700 tickets to their regular shows, and now they uh, are only selling about 88 and keeping everybody spread wide and um, making sure masks are on, and it's a dinner and a show type of situation. John, thank you. Good to hear from you, and I appreciate your call. I want to also uh, bring someone else into this conversation. Uh, Honey Mahogany is co-owner of The Stud, who was just mentioned by Nastia, and co-founder of the Transgender District in the Tenderloin. And Honey Mahogany also is a performer, and uh, good to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. Uh, Well, let's talk, first of all, about what you're doing to perform, uh, it's had quite an effect on singing, this whole thing, and it's moved into the digital world, and that doesn't quite make it for live performances, does it? Well, that's right. I mean, I it's unfortunate that even though we're allowed to have live music in certain places outdoors, we're, we're not really allowed to have singing just because of the nature of singing and the way the virus spreads. Um, you know, for the drag community in particular, um, and, you know, as a live singer who also does drag, uh, we have done a lot of virtual shows. And I also have musician friends who are producing virtual shows, whether it be on Facebook Facebook or through um, platforms uh, other such as Zoom um, um, or um, Twitch TV is another po- uh, po- another popular method that people are using to create online shows. Um, kind of a poor we- substitute, though, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we found is that you know initially with the stud, we started producing these online shows, and we got you know hundreds of viewers and people from across the globe that would tune in. But there's also just um, uh, the numbers have been going down week after week um, to the point where it's really unsustainable. Um, so it's not making us any money. We're not able to pay our performers or the people that produce the show. And so I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is a little bit of a loss of the magic when you move into the digital world, when it's not an in-person show and you can't you know, literally feel the energy and the sweat and the excitement of all the people around you. And you're fortunate enough to have a job in city government, but for so many of the people associated with the stud, which is a 55-year-old club, uh, your co-owner of, uh, it's been unemployment insurance and it's been hard scrabbling. Oh, that's, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, the reality is as performers in San Francisco, as in many major cities, many of us have several jobs. Um, Unfortunately, I think the norm is that folks usually have uh, a performance job and then a job like uh, being a waiter or, um, you know, some other job that is also (laughs) impacted by the pandemic. And so um, it is a tremendous loss of income and people are forced to rely on on unemployment insurance. Well, I wish you the best of luck and I appreciate very much your being with us. And again, that's Honey Mahogany, co-owner of the stud and co-founder of the Transgender District in the Tenderloin. Uh, Lynn Schwartz, let me go back to you for a moment. Are you a bit... uh terrified that this whole scene is on the verge of collapse? Um, I am. I mean, so far, knock on wood, we haven't lost any of our members. I mean, with the notable exception of the stud, however, I do believe that they are going to be resurrected gloriously, you know, once, once we're all able to get through this. But it is hard to imagine some, I mean, some of us have gotten grants, some of us have not and are just relying on those fundraisers. And again, honey's right. We've tapped out our, our fan base. Like we've been asking for eight months now for money. Um, They're not, most of them aren't wealthy themselves, you know? Um, 
What about so, the city's role in all this? I need to ask you that. Uh, the city is- oh, yeah. Well, the city is doing what it can. I really believe that. I mean, we thank them for the jam permit. It hasn't really helped our members that much um, just because sometimes it's just not cost effective to open up, have to run a kitchen, you know, book a band that doesn't have any singers and or any, you know, horn players or wind players. Um so I think it's keeping music alive that, you know, restaurants are allowed to pivot now into having um, live music restaurants and bars, but um, only a couple of our members have been able to take advantage of that. And then there's the tax break, which sounds really good, but was based on 2019, um, you know, payroll taxes and stuff, which obviously we don't have this year. We don't have anyone on payroll. So it's not, it, it's not as great a, boon for us as it could be but they've helped in littler ways like not having to work with the dpw on renewing our zones our parking zones or passenger zones and um you know they're i think they're doing what they can the entertainment commission and the economic office of economic and workforce development have been checking in with us regularly and just asking what can we do to help you and we tell them i think right now for me the path forward is once numbers permit it, making it easier to have those outdoor socially distanced show making right as as exists, the permitting process is extremely expensive, very difficult and lengthy. And they just have to make it as easy as that jam permit once that's once we are able to do that safely within health guidelines. And we're willing to work with the city on creating those health guidelines. We know what we're doing. We're really good at laying down the law, and probably better at some of those restaurants, you know, at, at controlling shows. We should mention that we did uh, actually invite the city's entertainment commission and they declined to be part of this program. Uh, I want to um, read a couple of comments and then I want to go back uh, and ask a rather significant question to you, Fred Barnes. But let me tell you co- what's coming in on emails here. Matthew writes, I finally remember attending a $5 concert at the Fillmore in 1977 where Jerry Garcia played St. Stephen. And Robert writes a shout out to deadheadland.com, which is also on Facebook for showcasing local artists and including opportunities to tip performers. And Philip writes, I'm a musician and a member of a local drumming group that supports itself through member dues, public workshops, local festival performances, etc., all of which are not happening. Since we don't have a payroll, we are not able to take advantage of PPP, PPE loans, and we are uh, not a nonprofit, so grants are also difficult. We're behind on our rent at this time and are concerned that we will lose our studio if we can't help with the debt. And you may want to add your voice here, and indeed, if you do, we want to hear from you by phone or email. You can join us by email forum at kqed.org. Here's a caller, text joining us. Text. good morning. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me. Glad to so have you. I'm a, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Bottom of the Hill and the chapel. The importance of it, both of those venues in my life cannot be understated. And my family's life, we're both musicians. We've played on both stages. We've attended both venues more times than I can count um, as just concert goers. These clubs are literally one of the main reasons we live in San Francisco, and I'm not exaggerating. So it's, it really breaks my heart to think of a San Francisco without the chapel, without bottom. They're way more than businesses. They're an extension of our home and our family. So beyond funding, I do have a question. Beyond the federal and local funding, what's the the best case scenario of the city of San Francisco doing all they can to support the survival because their survival is crucial. 
to us staying in the city? It's a very important question, and it kind of dovetails with what I was going to ask you, Fred Barnes, but let me go right to the heart of that question and uh, ask you, as I was going to, what you want to see as part of the recovery and, and part of post-COVID, but particularly apropos of the question that Tex just raised, what can and should the city do that it's not doing or should do? Well, um, thank you very much. That's a great question, and thank you so much for saying that about Arsene Bonneville. The... Um, you know, I think that, as Lynn said, this, the, the, the Entertainment Commission that have worked very closely with the Independent Venue Alliance and have helped us a lot trying to do what they can, it seems like, you know, the scope of what they have available to them and what they're able to do is, you know, is not that vast. So they're very, at the moment, obviously, you know, hampered by what the Department of Health says and, you know, obviously rightly so. Um, but they've worked as much as they can to try and achieve things, you know, for us. They've they made this jam permit, as we've all talked about. Um, the chapel has been one of the few places that's been able to benefit from that. We have a large outdoor space and there's also a restaurant there. So we've been able to hold several shows um, which have been financially completely unsuccessful because we have to have just dozens of people in a space that holds hundreds of could potentially hold hundreds of people but just from the you know sort this the spirit of doing it um has been a great thing to you know have that happen and people have loved just having some live music to come and see that is uh, essentially a dining event with music no singing everything as let me ask a, a couple quick questions here though fred i i believe i'm correct that uh there's a telethon uh, fundraiser in the works with the Independent Venue Alliance. And wasn't there also a two and a half million dollar arts fund from the city of San Francisco? There was. Um, and I, a lot of that went to artists and different organizations. Not much, much of that went to venues. And, you know, obviously we're happy about that because artists are the most important aspect of all of this. Um, and we have to make sure that they're, you know, taken care of because they're the real lifeblood of, of all, you know, culture and music. Um, but that that didn't go to venues. There hasn't really been any real financial support from the city. There were those loans that a few people got early on, but we didn't get. The the, the webathon that you're talking about, we have on December the 18th. Which well, so that's is, already set. That's in place. Good. Yes. It's, it's here, December 19th, Fred. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, get, we'll get December the date right, Fred. Yeah. We'll also get another caller on here, uh, somebody who loves Bottom of the Hill. And Benders, it's Machine. Caller's name is Machine. Good morning. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Um, I w I'd like to thank Bottom of the Hill for their Sunday shows that were put on by Mike Maris from, um, and I, from um, Subliminal SF and Iron Man Moving. A fantastic Sunday shows. The Chapel, the Knockout, Benders, all fantastic venues. I used to go and see 15 shows a week before covid be out during the week, Mondays to Mondays to Fridays mostly. You guys have you guys held the music scene together for so long. Also with Roxy Roller, independent independent um, bookers. These guys have been hurting so much over the last uh, few months, which has been pretty terrible for them. We've been supporting them as best we can. Um, thank you for trying to get it together. I don't know where we're going to see our next show, but whatever it is, count me in. And I thank you for that call, Machine. Uh, it sounded like uh, Machine may have had, be from the old sod. Uh, 
which prompts me to read an email here from Hilda, who writes, The Starry Plow in Berkeley is a great community treasure. I really miss the Sunday Irish traditional music sessions and the traditional Irish dancing with live music on Monday. It's my primary way to relieve stress and increase happiness. And Nasi, I'm going to go to you on this uh, comment from John in an email who says, I was the original director of sound for the Starline Social Club in Oakland when it first opened. I saw some of the best shows in my life there. I'm beyond saddened to hear it had a close, and I can only hope someone will buy it and keep it as a venue. Otherwise, I'm sure it will become some fancy new condos, much to the loss of the city's life and culture. Can you talk about the Starline Social Club? I think you've written about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's a big historic ballroom on um, Martin Luther King Jr. Way in Oakland. It's a, a, about a 120-year-old gorgeous building. There was um, a bar downstairs, a side room for smaller shows and dance parties downstairs, and then a, a big venue upstairs. And they would have a mixture of live bands, rap shows, dance parties, just everything you can imagine. And it was where all of these different creative scenes really mixed and mingled in Oakland, which is what made it so special. And what's really disappointing too about it, it putting its business and building on the market is that um, Starline seemed to be one of the venues that was best poised to survive the pandemic. They um, have a kitchen and they were doing takeout service at first. And then before the pandemic, they were really packed every night with a, a different concert or a show. So, um, and, and they own their building as well. But I interviewed the owners and they just said the mortgage costs, um, taxes and all the other bills adding up just didn't make it make sense for, you know, for them to pay all those expenses for an indefinite period of time with no federal aid coming. Sad story and unfortunately one that we keep hearing about. and. Uh... I hope we can get past this uh, and go into the spring when the vaccines are around and uh, these clubs can survive. Uh, you may want to indeed bring your own voice into this and have some thoughts uh, shared with us. And again, you can join us at our toll-free number at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. You're listening to Forum on KQED. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. We're checking in on the local music scene and finding out about efforts to help venues and artists with Lynn Schwarz and with our own Nastya Buenoskaya and with Fred Barnes. Uh, Lynn Schwarz is with Bottom of the Hill, Fred Barnes with The Chapel. And we thought we'd talk with Kev Choice, who is an Oakland-based musician. And Kev Choice has been written about by Nastya. Uh, in fact, I think Nastya wrote an article where she started out with uh, Kev laying down tracks for a social distancing album he did, uh, Sheltering in Place with soul singer and Afro house producer Jeff, uh, Jennifer Johns. Uh, and Kev, welcome to the program. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for sure. Well, how has this been affecting you, the pandemic, and your work? I mean, certainly you've written lyrics that are right dead target on to the pandemic, but in terms of performing. 
Wow. Well, um, how has it affected me? I mean, I mean, number one, I feel like I've been in a good position, which is not the same story I could say for a lot of my counterparts and colleagues. Uh, I've been fortunate to have jumped into a creative space and look for innovative ways to connect with audiences from day one. Like literally the first day of the pandemic, I was jumping on social media, um, trying to activate my audience, trying to activate fan base, uh, performing for cash apps and Venmos. Um, but and that only lasted for a little while. Um, luckily, I've been connected with, you know, some great organizations and been able to do some Zoom things and live streams. But uh, for a lot of my counterparts, I, I feel like they're they're in a, 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 a tougher situation, not having those connections, not having the same. Um, even the creative drive right now for artists is difficult, just dealing with the emotional aspect and the financial aspect of the pandemic. And I feel like we, we talk a lot about the financial impact. But I feel like just the even the creative and the inspirational impact of this pandemic on the artist community is even more dire because that's something that can literally, you know, take you away from what you're here to do, which create art. And that's a bigger drive and even just a financial uh, incentive. Well, I saw your video, No Worries, uh, and you're mm -hmm. walking around the streets of Oakland and you have these signs closed, shuttered business and so forth. Uh, yeah. And there's, uh, I mean, it's powerful uh, in so many ways. Uh, and at the same time, uh, there's a message of hope in that because, and I know you have a spiritual practice that's very important to you, but uh, mm -hmm. you got to find the angels from way up above is really what you're saying. Yeah. And, uh, there it is, that message of, of hope in the wake of uh, despair and the wake of grief. No, definitely. And I felt like I was on that earlier. I mean, that, that first song, No Worries, just even just talking about not being able to see a friend who, you know, we were spending time together or walking through downtown Oakland the first week of of the of the of the quarantine and the curfew and just seeing no one on the streets where it's so heavily populated on a Friday night with just so much life and vibrance and literally seeing no one on the street. Like it, it was it was powerful and it was it was tough to do that, but I feel like I needed to capture that moment because it's something that that told the story of those times and it will be something we'll look back on and and reflect on. And it's crazy. We're we're going back to that same space. We thought we would be in a different space by now, but we're almost going backwards with with how we're dealing with curfews and, and restrictions and tears and things like that. It's been rough and it's been rough on performers like you. And I know actually that you're, are you a classically trained pianist, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I got a master's degree in classical music, but always, you know, been very active in, you know, hip hop and R&B and jazz. and, and and even, you know, shout out to SF Symphony, who's actually um, San Francisco Symphony, who's given me an opportunity during this pandemic, even as they've pivoted and done online programming and, and reaching out to more local artists, which is which has actually been one of the good things that this pandemic has done is made every organization have to look at different ways to connect and engage with audience and also support some of the artists like myself who are doing things locally. Well, I like a lyric from one of your songs. Uh, I'm going to still sing my song. I'm going to still shine my light. And let's hope that yeah. that will carry forward. Good to have you with us. Appreciate your being with us. Thank yeah, you. Definitely. We got to stay positive and, and creative and contributing. That's That's been my my driving force. Thank you for that message. And actually, uh, your video ends with uh, what I've been ending my broadcast with. Stay safe. I'll say it to you too, Kemp. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Kev Choice, uh, Oakland-based musician. And uh, let's uh, bring another caller on here. Jesse from Oakland joins us, a musician. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Welcome. Yeah, I, I just wanted to call and in general uh, 
share a reflection on this time. And when we're coming out of it, I really hope that people remember how valuable the arts are and in general how undervalued are how undervalued arts are in our society. Um, the last time I was on the show, calling up, I got to talk once about the arts in this regard. Um, when the ghost ship fire happened, and I just feel like I'm just encouraging people to remember what's so important because arts are undersupported in our society. So go to your local band, go to your local shows when we get out of this thing, and I hope that we have a great renaissance. Saying hi to Fred. I think Fred uh, booked me at the Great American with my Motown band when we did the whole Stacks review, and everybody in my community kind of know a bunch of people on the show so far. So thank you guys so much, and I just wanted to, everyone on the air, I hope that we have a great renaissance for arts when we come out of this. That's a good way to conclude uh, your call. Thank you, Jesse, for that call, and let me bring another caller aboard. That's Kenny. Kenny, good morning. Hello? Yeah, Kenny, go ahead. I was going to talk about the Red Poppy uh, Art House on 23rd and uh, Folsom. It's a, it's a small space. It's about the size of a living room. Uh, inexpensive to get in. You could hear, and actually, you could hear the music from the outside. It's about 20 bucks. And I, I walked by there one night, and I heard the sounds of Monk. And I was a little surprised by Ben Goldberg. And then I started becoming a, a regular. They have great jazz. They have Latin. They have Fado. They have classical. And I saw a shadow puppet theater there, and uh, it's very intimate. And uh, I, I hope that uh, they'll be open. They'll be open again after this is over. Just a great place, the Red Poppy. And, and uh, another one might be the Brava Theater on 24th between Petrero and Bryant. And these are the uh, spaces that I miss. Well, thank you for those, uh, Kenny. Good to hear from you. And let me uh, read some comments that are coming in here. Chris writes. I'll go to you on this, Lynch Wars. Uh, he says, living in the Bay Area for the last two decades is filled with countless memories at bottom of the hill and shows that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Uh, Desaparecidos and the Velveteen in 2012 encapsulate the magic of that venue, a local favorite opening for a band that rarely toured. Thank you, Lynn, and everyone at the bottom of the hill for providing the Bay Area moments like this. It's nice to hear those words, even in spite of the fact that you're hang hanging on by your fingernails, isn't it? Yeah. It's so nice to hear those words. It's so nice to hear the band names that, you know, have been our lifeblood for so long. And wow, we, we just owe so much to our, our fans that have been sticking with us this whole time, reaching out to me personally and just to Facebook and just like letting us know that they're there waiting for us to reopen and wanting to do whatever they can. It's so heartwarming. Yeah, that's a good part of it. Uh, and let me read some more emails that are coming in. Rich says, has any California's rainy day fund been used to support local causes during the pandemic, such as the arts? Uh, Nastia, can I go to you on that? Um, you know, I haven't heard it being used for an arts-specific program. And then now that the, the state is in a deficit, I, th I think that will be pretty unlikely. Well, here's a question, Fred Barnes, you might be... Uh, Apprised of Jocelyn wants to know how much money is needed to keep things going. Hearing an actual number or range would be helpful to understand how to move forward. Yeah, um, that's a, it's a it's a large number and it's a complicated uh, number because it's obviously different for every one of our members in our organisation. We have presented those figures to um, to to local government and. Um, wherever we can and as also we're involved with the save our stages act that has been mentioned that some of that financial information has been put into but um we have given that 
that information out. I do think, as Nastia said, that um, it seems like there's not a lot of money in the coffers um, uh, for uh, for what for what we need. So we're you know really, if it doesn't come from that federal level, that aspect is not going to save us. The thing that has you know reached us more than anything has been personal donations by people who have enough money to support uh, you know the arts and obviously the sort of patron supporting of the arts is a, is a long-standing tradition but people have reached out to us and said you know i own so and so company and i met my wife at your venue and it means so much to us or all kinds of things have happened so um things like it's been private f funding donations small donations and larger donations from uh you know local businesses that have been the thing it hasn't been really government support and i you know i totally agree with some of the callers that i feel like arts and culture the people we as we can see from the comments here you know people themselves feel how important it is and and you know that it's an incredibly important part of society but perhaps that's not reflected within you know the budget makers of you know what, whatever you know there's they're going down and trying to figure out what they give out aid to they're not perhaps able to see how the, the importance of what it actually is. Actually, apropos of that, and again, Fred Barnes is general manager of the chapel. I'm looking at an email from Seth who uh, comes down pretty hard and says the pandemic has shown once again that San Francisco city government does not care for small venues and their artists. Venues were closing before the pandemic with the tech boom pushing them out while the city stood by and watched. But let that comment stand. Let me read some more comments. Uh, TZ writes, uh, the National Endowment for the Arts used to use a slogan, a great nation deserves great art. I don't believe that's quite true because it should be a great nation is defined by great art. Same criterion defines a great city. Like San Francisco, it is our identity. And Rob writes, the great San Francisco band Chuck Prophet and the Mission Express at the Makeout Room during Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Weekend is an annual tradition I miss. Fortunately, I have some live recordings from years past, but I can't smell the beer on the floor. Let me get another caller in here, a musician from Oakland. Rob, join us, Rob. You're on. Hi, yeah, this is Rob Brake from Oakland, and um, I've played accordion at many of these venues that you all are talking about, and I miss them a lot. Um, since the pandemic hit, I've um, been doing some live streams and things, and that's been an interesting way to go. And then I have received some money from organizations like um, Hardly Strictly and also uh, Jazz in the Neighborhood are some organizations that have been funding some artists, but lately I've been able to play some outdoor dining situations. I've been playing regularly at Zuni Cafe on Market Street and at the Page on Page and DeViz. And those are interesting because um, playing outdoors, it's a different kind of thing. You know, it's um, we're playing acoustically mostly, keeping the volume down. Um, we're playing for the people passing by, not just the people who are patronizing the places, which has been kind of democratizing in a way playing for anybody and um you know babies going by at uh, outside the bar and then um also you know the thing is it's getting kind of cold now which is limiting my finger dexterity so that's a drag and limiting a lot of desire too <laughs> to play outside but thank you for that call rob uh i'm going to go back to you lynch Schwartz, with a comment uh from an email a listener named keon writes uh and I wonder what your response is to this. Uh, as we learned from Prohibition, we're going to create an underground black market for performances that may not follow guidelines. I believe it's irresponsible for the city to restrict venues and businesses like this. It will mostly likely increase the spread, not slow it. Lynn? I, 
I disagree with that. I think we do have to follow our health directives. I think that's the only way we're going to get this under control and get back to doing what we do best. I appreciate the sentiment. And yeah, it's definitely not rock and roll to be shut down. Um, I, I just feel like uh, we need to get our, the, you know, the, the companies that build these monoliths on our skyline and that have been given tax breaks by the city, we need to get them that, you know, in the, in the tour books and the guidebooks, they're not coming to see those people. They're coming to see the arts. They're coming to see theater, live music, stand-up comedy. And I think it's time for, you know, the private sector businesses that make so much money in the city to just give some money and, and help us survive this lengthy stretch. I don't think the answer is opening up before it's safe, although it's so tempting. But I'm no, sure it's tempting. we want to do things correctly. Yeah, well said. Let me read a tweet from Linda, who I think points something out that's important. She says, please don't forget to mention the talent agents, artist managers, office staff, sound engineers, lighting designers, drivers, loaders, production managers, tour managers, and most importantly, the artists who are suffering. And Bill says, I love the Royal Cuckoo in the Mission. The bar is one of the smallest jazz venues around for now. They have an organ outside most evenings, but it will be great to see them open again. I love hearing music outside now, but it's a shame to lose the horns and the singing. And Nasia, here's Greg who tweets, I had tickets uh, to see Orville Peck at the Independent last April. They announced a new date and a change of venue to the Fox in Oakland for April next year. Do you think they'll allow live shows as early as April? Um, April seems a little early to bet on. Um, I, I, I've been hearing that, you know, it will take a long time for the vaccine to be distributed to the entire population. And in California, that's really what um, the the fourth tier of reopening will require. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of have my doubts that a full indoor concert can happen in April. Well, here's a tweet from Cash who says, one silver lining in all this is I see is that more people are turning toward their own musical skill development and creating little jam communities within their communities. There is a deep pleasure in learning to make your own music as well. And Andrew says, is there also a silver lining to this pandemic, big if, that has been revealed by the impact of performing arts, the many, many people employed and business support at all because we humans want to be together and enjoy live performances. A shout out for Cal Shakes. We worked out a lot of the challenges this summer for hosting outdoor, socially distant shows there. And a tweet from a listener says, DNA Lounge's built-in kitchen helped them stay open along with live streams. They now have a parklet to help anchor these streams. I joined their Patreon and hope to hit their dance floor again. And from Catherine, we hear, I'd like to give a shout out to SF Jazz. They have regular streaming concerts, including Fridays at five. We have dance parties in our house and always tip the musicians. It's top-notch jazz that we wouldn't have been able to hear otherwise. Please support them on this Giving Tuesday. And again, it's good to hear from all of you. Let me uh, hear from another listener. Paula from San Francisco joins us. Good morning, Paula. Good morning. Um, I own Chile Lindo, and I've been working with Clay to have a socially distanced Friday evening live music event. And the food runners that have a program, they provide the food for the musicians. We provide them drinks. They get tips. And it is a collaboration. And I'm also working on getting a parklet so that I can have uh, musicians outdoors where, there's, where it's safe play and, and, and have access 
to tips, but I was thinking, couldn't there be a collaboration between the small restaurants that really, when there's music and live music, uh, uh, when there's live music, that's what attracts people to a venue. And where there would be funds for these small restaurants to actually pay a stipend to the live musicians that are playing outside the parklets just for tips, because I, I, I think they should really, uh, there should be a priority. I see that there's parklets and avenues and locations where uh, the landlord gets played. Paul, excuse me, we're running very short on time. I'm going to have to break in, uh, but let me get a quick response from you on this, Lynch Wars, if I may. Um, yeah, well, first of all, yeah, th- bravo to you for keeping live music alive, you know, albeit limping along. Um, I, I totally think that you should be joining, joining other restaurants. And, you know, if, uh, can you tell me the name of your uh, She's again? off the air now, but we're, you know, I think the spirit of the oh, yeah. call is, we're, and what you're saying is, have to remember we're all in this together and we all have to support exactly. each other. And uh, I think that's the message above all here. We certainly hope, and I can express a hope, I think, of many listeners here that those of you who are struggling can carry on and those in the business uh, can indeed continue to contribute so much has been contributed by them already to the culture and the arts and uh, the live performances that the city has to some extent to a great extent uh, made famous thank you all thank you to our guest lynch wars from bottom of the hill fred barnes from chapel and uh, of course our own uh, nasia voinovskaya associate editor for kqd arts and thank you our listeners and once again i'll say it stay safe i'm michael krasny Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.